Also, you're welcome. I fixed I fixed your not script. You had crows written instead of crowds. Oh my god, I wrote this drunk. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it, it would be really funny to leave that in though. It's like the crows were getting bigger. <laughs> Welcome to We Talk About Dead People, a podcast where we talk about dead people. I'm your host, Aaron C., and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, George. Say hi, George. You know, I'm still not sure if I'm actually supposed to just say hi or if I'm supposed to say something witty, but I'm not a witty person. So, hi. Great. We hope to keep our listeners entertained and interested while we break down various members of the odd and exciting family that is humanity. The way that this works is that George and I will do our amateurs best to give a basic account of the major events in the life of a now dead person and give a fairly accurate depiction of their individual character, which is harder to do, but we're going to try anyway. So, George, who do we have this week? Well, this week we are finally ready to chow down on Nikolai Ceausescu. Now that we have masterfully set the stage with an anthropological examination of Romanian history from the <laughs> dawn of time until some Finnish dude took a lot of meth last week. So we are yes. ready to dig in and get to this commie bastard and hopefully use memes to tarnish his blighted memory forever. I think we're definitely in a good spot to get this kicked off. So, what do you say? Shall we head down to the history lab? With absolute haste. <laughs> in a world known as Romania, one <laughs> In a world known as Romania, one man stood up and said, dialectical materialism works like cocaine, let's say. If you sniff it once or twice, it may not change your life. If you use it day after day, though, it will make you into an addict, a different man. That's a real quote, I'm not even fucking around. So, George, if you had to date and marry a notable woman from history, who would you pick and how would you pop the question? Well, Aaron, I think I'd have to go with something that, like myself, is a combination of outlandish, bizarre, and esoteric, yet at the same time, classic and traditional. So, I think I would... I would marry the daughter of one of the Byzantine emperors, mostly because I currently look like... Well, if Vladimir Soloviev fought in Tudorburg Forest, that's what I look like right now. So I think it's only fair that I go east. To pop right. the question, I think I'd have to... Hmm. Aha. I think I'd have to go to war against the Bulgars, take back the set of dinnerware that they made out of the skulls of Byzantine emperors. They were, they were kind of hardcore. Like, even I'm a little scared of the Bulgars. Wow. <laughs> take back the set of dinnerware made out of the heads of Byzantine emperors. Bring them back to Constantinople, use them for cocktail glasses, put a <laughs> ring in the bottom of the glass, and that's how I will pop the question to the emperor's daughter. With a ring served in the bottom of a cocktail that is poured into the skull of one of her ancestors. I think that's pretty fucked up, but okay, man, you do you. Get it? You gotta get that Byzantine girl's uh, attention somehow, right? I don't write the questions, man. <laughs> Well, if I had to do it, I think I think I'd go uh oh jeez. I had all day to think about this and I wrote the question. But the first person who pops into into my mind is uh Joseph Smith's first wife. I could save the world from Mormonism if I just married her, I think. Maybe. I would say, "Hey, do you just not want to marry Joseph Smith? Marry me. We can be buddies." And then we would get married and we would save the world from from Mormonism, maybe. I don't know. Joseph Smith might find another uh Patsy, he did find several. <laughs> hey! Ho-ho! Uh, 
Okay, so, computer, please bring up Nikolai Ceausescu again. So, Aaron, as we've established in our previous episode, Nikolai Ceausescu looks like he lost the fight with a vacuum cleaner on the sexual offender registry. Would you like to remind everyone exactly what this man is best known for? Absolutely. Remember, dear listener, that Nikolai Ceausescu was the successor in the former communist, formerly communist dictatorship known as Romania. Part one is a trip that delves into the darkness that is Romania's struggle to figure out its cultural identity, losing thousands and thousands of lives in the process. Was it all worth it? Well, we're coming to something like the end of the road here. We're working our way into the modern version of Romania, which, interesting to note, is a country ruled by interdimensional aliens. Just Google it. So, when we left Ceausescu, he was following that typical revolutionary path. You know, all the classics. He's got daddy issues, he's kind of middle class, not really happy with the way the world is going. He's living in the 1930s in Eastern Europe, was just an all-around rough time. Uh, they didn't even have internet, which is of course unthinkable. We should have a moment of silence for those people who are still <laughs> living in the 1930s in Eastern Europe. Yeah. Which is most of the population of Eastern Europe. It's true. All right. <clears throat> so right around the time little Ceausescu turned 15, he began his timeless adventure of being a communist activist. At this time in Romania, communism was literally illegal, and even being a communist at all could land you in prison. When you're a revolutionary, however, you have to kind of expect to get in and out of prison all the time. Uh, and in prison, you're going to meet up with the real radicals and plot your schemes, and when you finally get out, you're going to attempt your little revolution, get thrown back in with the boys. This is how these things go. And then you're on your way to further radicalization. Getting thrown into a cold one with the boys. <laughs> <laughs> that was really good. Uh, all right, so amidst the communist rap battles we spoke about in the first episode of the struggle sessions and the epic memeing crusades... Can I just say the phrase what? struggle sessions still makes me uncomfortable. Really? Yeah. I hate <laughs> it. Uh, Mao had a real thing for struggle sessions. <laughs> Oof. That's, uh, Oof. Oof, beefy. Don't, <laughs> don't Google it, kids. Yeah, don't don't Google mouse struggle session. You're, you're not going to like what you find on Pornhub. Anyway, so we find in the midst of all this a largely hopeless little man who is working as an enforcer for Georges Georgiou, the leader of these communist plots. This translates throughout his career all the way up to the point where Gigi, as we call him, becomes the dictator of Romania after being fired from all of his electrician jobs for his entire life. And Nikolai Ceausescu is his right-hand man throughout the new order in Romania and aids his efforts to purge the Politburo of so-called parasitic elements, such as the aforementioned Anna Pauker, who was accused of being an Israeli nationalist and was ousted when Gigi took power. Surely you remember the sad tale of Anna Pauker. Oh, I do. So what year are we at now, Aaron? Oh, uh, shit. We're, we're getting into the early months of 1965. Oh, okay. So we, we've gone a while. It's... It was yeah, I mean, okay, so it's basically, it's been one of those, like, montages. It's always hard to tell, like, did mm -hmm. this happen in five months? Are we talking ten years? Okay, I can see it now. I can I can hear the inspirational music in the background is, like, mm -hmm. they do mm -hmm. weird, weird struggle sessions and <laughs> accuse each other of not being real Stalinists. You know, just classic kid stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's just normal. You know, everybody goes through this phase. But here we are in the early months of 1965, and as the world drifts phantasmically through the Cold War... 
and tensions between the United States and the Soviet Union are reaching all-time uh, potential nuclear boogaloo heights. Romania's off to the side just really trying to get by. It's a country neighboring and sort of imitating the Soviet Union, like we talked about last week, though less so in 1965, as the Stalinists are finally being pushed out of power completely. And that's what would happen with uh, Anna Pauker. Oh, can I just tell you something really awesome that only takes like 10 seconds that yes. reminded me from the Soviet Union? So... I used to know Russian. I've pretty much completely forgotten it. But I did take a lot of uh, seminars on Russian phonetics and phonology and how to properly speak Russian. I remember none of that. But I was speaking to a Serb today in Serbian, and he told me that to him, me speaking Serbian has a Russian accent. And that is the craziest thing because I've completely forgotten Russian, but apparently it has now corrupted the way I speak other languages. Just like all Stalinist languages corrupt wherever they enter. <laughs> Um, I didn't know you knew Serbian. Jesus I mean, Christ! I mean, just a not a not a huge amount, just enough to enough to get by, just enough to get by a little conversation and protect yourself from getting thrown into a gulag. <sighs> okay, so unfortunately for Romania, the country was about to suffer a major disruption in day to day life. Gigi was gonna die in the March of '65, and the country would be without leadership until a successor could be named. Which wasn't very long, because it was only three days after Gigi's death that Ceausescu, it's actually pronounced Ceausescu, but I, I'm saying Ceausescu because I'm used to it now, officially took power as the, uh, the generary, uh, general, generary, <laughs> hey, <laughs> general secretary of Romania. So now he's in charge and things are like all going to go his way, as uh, long as he can keep this roller coaster going. And the good news is that his public image was already pretty solid. He had been around for a good long while, was always in the background with, with Gigi, great friends with Gigi, and even begun his whole communist journey in uh, Georges' discipleship. However, Nikolai has some plans to shake things up. We talked about this last week. He had these broad visions for making Romania into a world power competitive with both the Soviet Union and the United States, which sounds crazy because it is. Uh, and the first thing, Wait, the I, first, I think I need a minute for that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, um can, yeah, you know, I, <laughs> what? I just, uh, that, yeah, it just took a little bit to sink in. <laughs> yeah. What? That he wants to be a world power? Yeah, that Romania is going to rival the United States and the USSR. Yeah, yeah. This guy's got big dreams for Romania, and we're gonna see the uh they're gonna see these some of these big dreams, which he does actually accomplish, but Look, uh, Romania has trouble rivaling Bulgaria. <laughs> that I is not a high bar. Uh, <laughs> uh I actually have no context for like for like Bulgaria at all being competitive with Romania. Well, they're next to each other. Um, okay. Right. Yeah, no. I have a lot of completely unfounded prejudices about that part of the world because it's solely based on where I have friends. And so when you have friends from one country, they talk shit about countries that are next to theirs that you know nothing about, but because they're your friends, you just kind of are like, yeah, you know what? Fuck those people. And so, <laughs> you, and so you just end up with these, these prejudices against countries you've never been to and have nothing substantive against but because your friends you know it's basically like you know fuck bulgaria all my homies hate bulgaria <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah for, I, I get that too um 
So anyway, these we we've got these we've got these anti-Bulgarian Romanian world power ideas. So the first thing that uh, that um, Ceausescu does is that he changes the political party his political party's name from the Romanian Workers Party back to its old name, which was the Communist Party of Romania. He also declared that Romania was now a socialist republic as opposed to a people's republic. The difference basically being, I have no fucking clue, but I'm sure that you do have some kind of idea like the difference. I, I'm going to keep it real with you, Chief. I have no clue. I just okay. assume it's some sort of weird commie space magic where they yeah. change the words and don't add, nothing actually changes, but everything changes because everything is simultaneously ensconced in a putrid shell of unchangeable bureaucracy while at the same time having absolutely no stability. Dude, you just, you just, way to own the commies. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're about to, we're about to get into some real like commie bullshit. You know, I'm so I'm so tired of it. I'm so used to it. Like I was getting angry writing this episode because every time it's every time I've gone through this story, it has all the same hallmarks. And this time it was like the last straw. I was like, this is the last time I'm covering a communist. This is the fucking last time I look at this process and just am able to predict everything because uh, it's just the same old shit every time. Because it's just a shitty pattern. A it's tale not even like as old as time. Exactly. It's a tale as old as time. So, <clears throat> we don't know the difference between a socialist republic and a people's republic, and there's some commie out there just seething, going, They don't know people's republic is the real communism! Uh, yeah, I don't care, man. <laughs> uh, okay. <clears throat> so, Ceausescu's first two years in office are very, very busy. Because he's got his eye on the prize. But what's the prize? Mars Become colonies. What? Mars colonies. Yes, that's the end goal here. Uh, and it wouldn't surprise me if he was actually thinking about doing that kind of shit, but... Wait, anyways. wait. Aaron, are you suggesting that this may have been the birth of luxury gay space communism? <laughs> I literally don't even know where that meme came from. I just what? remember it from weird message, weird like text-based message boards in the mid two thousands. People would uh, talk okay. about luxury gay space communism. <laughs> I cut that. <laughs> That's really good. Um, Did you wait? Do you not recognize that phrase? No. Okay, it was like a set phrase on the internet people used to use: luxury gay space communism. Hmm. I wonder where that came from. I don't know, but I didn't make that up. Okay, well, maybe I won't edit it. I'm being too much of a pussy anyway recently. Alright, so let's see here. Where were we? Blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah, so the, the, eye, the prize that he is eyeing with his lustful little eyes is he wants to become the totalitarian, totalitarian <laughs> dictator of Romania. Because right now, he's just the general secretary, which is basically working at the post office. But that's separate from the state council, which is the only power that can stand in his way. So what does he do? He becomes the president of the state council, of course. It should probably noted that, um, you know, our boy Zhugashvili, also known as Stalin, was also <laughs> only the general secretary. Yep, yep. So, you know, the post office has too much power. Yeah, the post office obviously too much power. Needs 1776 to will commence again. <laughs> so another thing he did in his first two years uh, in power was he banned abortions, and he made divorce nearly impossible. And you might be asking why he did this. Well, the population of Romania was kind of leveling out, and Ceausescu knew that in order to make uh, Romania a world power, which is what he wanted, the delusional fool, 
the population had to be growing or basically you die. And you kind of have to make up for that 130,000 Romanian soldiers who died in the gulags. Exactly. So these moves did indeed cause a population boom in the 1960s. But at what cost? On top of it, remember, he's a communist dictator. And what are communist dictators best known for? Weird haircuts. Yes, and cults of personality. And not only is he going to create a cult around his vacuum slurping face... He's going to create what's been called by historians as the most pervasive and stupid cult of personality in the entire Eastern Bloc. Second only to that of the Adidas tracksuit. <laughs> yes, good one. Now we're dunking on the Eastern Europeans and their tracksuits. Anyway, so it probably won't surprise you that his direct models were Mao Zedong and Kim Il-sung. Which, I guess if you're going to create a huge cult of personality, you'd want to model after the best. It's like if you're going to buy a luxury car. You don't go for the boomer Corvette. You get yourself a Ferrari or you buy the president's bomb-proof SUV. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so he also met Kim Il-sung and Mao Zedong, I think. And he was he was like, these guys are so cool. I'm going to I'm gonna be them someday. And so he's like, I need to do exactly what Mao's doing because it's not causing the death of millions in his country. So to kick off the new cult of personality in the Socialist Republic of Romania, Ceausescu gives a speech known as the July Theses, or the, here's the official title, Proposed Measures for the Improvement of Political Ideological Activity of the Marxist-Leninist Education of Party Members of All Working People. And this was uh, Nikolai's equivalent to the doctrines that Mao had instantiated before the Great Leap Forward. And if you want to learn more about that, go listen to our Mao episode. So basically the plan is this. First of all, Romania is reaffirming its official love for all things Stalin. Stalin hats, Stalin mugs, Stalin dolls, Stalin body pillows, everything Stalin. Also, Nikolai would push new programs to combat cultural autonomy... Which is to say he's going after traditionalists, much like Mao did in his anti-right movement in China. He wants everyone in the system, and he wants those who don't want to be in the system disposed of. This is coupled with a new attack on intellectuals, classic, and the launch of... Shit, sorry, I'm drinking sparkling water, so I've got air. Um, let's see. He uh, launched some programs that would replace competence, literally, aesthetics, trade skills, art all of it with communist propaganda <laughs> and some say that program endures to this very day ho ho are you no i'm just kidding all right so <laughs> the worst part of it is that romania actually had a moment to breathe after the horror show of the previous 50 years while ceausescu is consolidating power people are like actually like oh my god like you can live a life outside of communism what the fuck um, so we have a, uh, an excerpt here from uh, a letter, I believe. Uh, I, I just found this on Wikipedia. I found it so interesting. But his name was Soren Preda, and he was in Bucharest in 1970, and he wrote the following. Inexplicably, and in part miraculously, around 1970, time had slowed down all of a sudden. Tired out, history left people alone for a few years. Forgetting about denouncements and workers' wrath, about suspicions and ugly memories, it was the artist's time, including those who are just released from prison. It was the time of the thaw. For Leonce and Lena, the Boulangera Theater was packed with people who'd come to give standing ovations for Sioli, I don't know how that's pronounced, um, I think this is Pintia, 
uh, Irina Petrescu and Karamitru. Our great visual artist, My Tech Apostu and Baba, open a new exhibition almost every month. The Athenium and Opera would sell out shows for their entire run, while in bookstores, the works of Eliada, Noika Preda Breben, I don't know how to pronounce this, Tui, Nichita, Stanescu, were sold on the sly with much pleading and insistence. In the 1970s, life in Bucharest really started moving toward, or really started toward midnight. After a concert or play, people went for a walk to enjoy themselves. The elegant downtown restaurants were full of artists and beautiful girls. The best-known writers and journalists dined at Capsa in Berlin, which was a restaurant. While at the Mignon, the first private restaurant had opened, owned by the Chivu brothers, uh, where you could find the freshest seafood brought in that very day from Paris by air. The city adulated its artists, receiving the cheetah as it would uh, a handsome and rebellious prince, and Marine Preda like a patriarch. <clears throat> the lights shone on the streets, and there were even a few neon signs, American style. No one was in a hurry. There was time for everything, for books and films, for political jokes, and a glass of wine. A glass of good wine. For a moment, Bucharest had recovered its pre-war normalcy. A year later, in 1971, the July Theses would draw an invincible scalpel line over the people over the White Knights of Bucharest, over all our small, guiltless pleasure, pleasures. A freezing gust of wind heralded the dreadful ideological winter that would soon arrive. In disbelief and naive, people continued to go out to fill the theaters and concert halls, while Siule, uh, Pentil, and Andres Serban's bags were being prepared for their permanent departure from the country. Not even when the Mignon restaurant was closed and the light bulbs downtown disappeared one by one did people stop hoping. It's as if no one wanted to believe that everything could end so quickly in an absurd and unfair twist of history. Well, damn, son, you didn't have to lay it on that hard. Dude, I read it and I was like, this is horrible. Because um, they had like a little break in there and then... Bam, Ceausescu gets into power, and he's a nightmare, so... I was yeah, having a perfectly good evening up to that. I mean, as well, as good evenings you can have when you've been awake for 48 hours. and But I was, it was fine. Then you had to read that. Jeez. Yeah, because, you know, according to communists, uh, you can't just have people living normal lives or just getting along. Oh, no, some psychotic motherfucker with plans for total denomination and all kinds of theories about how to do it is just going to come along and steamroll your normal fucking life because he just feels like it. Ceausescu reignited the flames of revolution because just like all these fucking communists, he just can't leave well enough alone. They can't help themselves. They've got to poke the fucking bear. Anyway, so Nikolai's plan is to turn everything, everything, into a service of the state. Art, dance, movies, paintings, speeches, comedy, all of it has to remind you that you're being ruled by this tyrant. And there's a system in place at the end of a gun to force, just forcing you to be a literal slave of the government. And an ounce of perceived resistance within the system will see you trapped in a box, literally filled with bed bugs, after the commissar broke all your fingers and mutilated your genitals while your whole family watched. That shit's in the Gulag Archipelago. Fuck. <laughs> When I was reading that shit, I was like, I can't believe people could be this evil. But then I just see it again and again with these with these communists. So that's why nothing fucking pisses me off quite like communism. It's just like the most evil, pathetic, humanity-hating ideology of all of them. It's like, people just want to live their lives. They're tired of your shit, goddammit. But you can't help it. You got- you, you're the savior. You're the- you're the king who's got to save the world. I don't know. I'm, I'm so fucking done with communism right now. 
Jeez. Fuck it. I was I was not ready for this this evening. Like no. I, I'm literally here like wearing my fuzzy slippers and I've got <laughs> my little, I've got my little coffee cup and I'm like I'm gonna have a lovely evening podcasting with Aaron and then I'm just I'm just here like white knuckled at my laptop like traumatized. <laughs> well, the great news is it actually. It actually gets a lot brighter. This story gets so bright by the end. It, it, I was like crying while reading about it. I'm like, thank God. Like, yeah, so anyways, if, if memory serves, there's um, there's some tallying up and um, accounts paid. Yeah, there's there's something like a bill coming. So, anyway, so you know, I get pissed off about it. But the good news is the move was actually met with resistance from artists. But honestly, what can they really do? Some poet literally got 12 years in the gulags because a book he submitted for review that wasn't even published had some verse in it that some commissar perceived to be anti-state. It's insane. Oh, and did I mention that communists hate science too? Just like Trofim Lysenko, Romania politicized nature for fuck's sake. Ceausescu's wife was made the head of the Academy of Sciences in 1974, and she politicized the research so much that people just stopped researching out of fear of making some kind of discovery that would be perceived to be anti-state. Because they would just burn all your research and see your whole family goes to the gulag. Almost all the research done at the Academy of Sciences was destroyed. It set Romania back years. It's the same thing that happened with Trofim Lysenko. And that's actually the same year that Nikolai declared himself president of Romania. And now he literally has power over everything. And everyone's like, great, Antonescu, or not Antonescu, Ceausescu. Some kind of scoo out there <laughs> doing his shit. Can I, uh, can I actually take a minute here to um, plug something that's related? Sure. You, um, in that long letter, uh, one of the names of authors that was mentioned stood out to me, which was Eliade. Do you know who Eliade is? Yes. Mir Mircea Eliade. There's a fantastic book, which is, you can get a really cheap used copy of the English translation of it. It's called The Old Man and the Bureaucrats. Mm -hmm. And it is about basically a coming together of these two completely different worlds. One is the world of actual humanity, of community, of history, identity. And the other is the world of communism, technocracy, and a completely dehumanized world. And the, it's basically, it takes place in Romania at this time, and the secret police are interrogating this old man, and they're asking him all these questions with, you know, implications that he must, you know, that he's part of some kind of conspiracy or whatever. And But he's just answering these questions with reference to, like, local folklore and stories and just, like, calm, you know, like, simple human things. And these apparatchiks are like taking everything down trying to figure out what the code is because they can't comprehend of someone actually just being a normal human being living in a community and having stories and having you know an identity and so they they're convinced everything is some sort of code for political action and it's just it's it's an amazing book i highly recommend it i've read the first half i had to put it down because i got busy with other shit but I'm going to have some time to read coming up. I'm, I am going to finish it, and I recommend it as well. It's 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 so it's beautifully written. Um, and the stories that that the old guy uses to just answer their questions is it's it's funny. It's like darkly funny how the officers react to the stories because they just don't get it. And it's also like kind of funny because you're just imagining this old guy like, oh, yeah, did you hear about that really tall girl who beat up that boy? <laughs> and they're like, what? 
It's like, yeah, there was the giantess, and she was, like, the most beautiful person ever. And she was, like, when she was 12, she was, like, fighting boys twice her size and winning and shit like that. And I don't know. That's that's about all I remember from, from what I read because I put it down a while ago. But I got my copy. Do you have yours? Okay, we're not making any commission off of this, so let's move on. Um, so, yeah, here, here we go. So, uh, Nikolai is now president of Romania, and he has power over everything. So what's he going to do? Well, his first move is in response to the 1973 Arab oil embargo. You see, Romania's got a lot of oil, and Nikolai's figuring this out, and he's like, we should make the most of this. So he starts taking out massive loans at Western banks to build oil refineries in Romania so that Romania would become uh, one of the country's most valuable oil pro- uh, producers. And we learned about this. Uh, they supplied oil to Nazi Germany in World War II. Um, so they did have a lot of oil. And uh, Nikolai wanted to capitalize that uh, uh, as much as he possibly could. That was good. Did you did you intend that? What? Capitalize on that. <laughs> hey! Hey. Yeah, I didn't catch that. I, I don't even know. You want to hear something funny? Um, these last three mornings, I've gotten up, and I've just realized how much I love words. And I don't know why, but, like, I, I wake up in the morning, and I'll think about a word, and it'll, it'll make me laugh. So, like, my job is producer. Producer is just a funny word when you think about it. It's just got these noises to it. Embargo is a good one. It's like you get these pictures in your head of what these words actually stand for, and language becomes kind of funny. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever experienced that. You're a linguist. Oh, yeah, no. Language is the single most infuriating, but also amazing, hilarious, useful... I could, I could list adjectives all night. Language is just an amazing, amazing thing. And once you dig into the complexities of how our language came to be, how lots of other languages came to be, you know, it's a, it's just a small jump from looking up the etymology to a word to, you know, your balls deep in some godforsaken German tome trying to find out the proto-Indo-European root of some word and how you've actually been saying something that means the same thing as it does in Sanskrit for years without ever realizing it. Mm-hmm. It's a different, it's a crazy world, man. Yeah, I, I got into etymology in, in uh, high school and I never quite got over my love for words. What was the one that I was thinking? Oh, yeah. My favorite word, one of my favorite words of all time is podcast. Because in it, it has, you know, the word pod and it has the word cast. And what it does is, like, if you get someone to say, like, uh, you, you ask somebody to say, you know, the word podcast, depending on their their uh, accent, the word adjusts itself a little bit. So it's like, I don't listen to your damn podcast, you know? Um, and the uh, the Brits go, podcast. <laughs> I don't know. I just like the word. It's stupid. Oh, speaking of language, um, I got a package today, which was my um, introduction to Pashto because I was inspired by the Josiah Harlan episode. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, those 4 a.m. internet purchases, man, they'll get you every time. What did you buy? The introduction to Pashto. Oh, actual introduction to Pashtow. I thought you were saying like you were introduced to Pashtow by what you bought. Got you. Yeah, no, it's actually it's actually a textbook from 1938 um, for Pashtow. Nice. Um, okay. So give me a few weeks and, you know, catch me hanging out with all those weird rascals in the mountains of Afghanistan trying to find the lost tribes of Israel. <laughs> Please do. Yeah, I'll come. I'll come find you. Don't worry. Just I'll see you in Afghanistan, brother. <laughs> All right, so where were we? Oil embargo. Oil embargo, sorry. 
So during this oil embargo, Ceausescu realizes he can make a ton of freaking money um, because Saudi Arabia isn't supplying a ton of, or not Saudi Arabia, but the Arab world isn't supplying a ton of oil. Um, so he's like, oh, I'll be that guy. But guess what, folks? The population of Romania is literally too demoralized to build the refineries. They get it done, sure, but literal years behind schedule. They missed the window of the embargo, and then the country was in completely massive debt uh, for the loans that Ceausescu took out in his first year. Uh, and they also had a workforce that just wants it all to be over. <laughs> Um, turns out demoralizing and, and uh, persecuting your own people is kind of a bad move in the long run. Uh, you can only keep that boot on that neck for so long. And we're going to see the results of that coming up. Ooh. So in 1977, Ceausescu had his first real revolt against his regime, um, which let the record show is, what, six years after he became the president? Six years? No. He was in 71, right? No, 74. So three years, literally he made it three years. And then he has 30,000 miners who go on strike to express anger over poor working conditions and bad pay. Ceausescu went out to meet with the leaders of the miners and he brought an armed company of soldiers with him and he ordered the soldiers to fire on their fellow countrymen in order to put an end to the revolt, but they refused. And there was nothing he could do except make a compromise with the miners. Of course, go ahead. I was going to say, this reminds me of that fantastic scene in the new Chernobyl series. No, you Ooh. look like Minister of Coal. What, say that again? Oh, wait, did you not watch it? I didn't watch it. What the hell do you do with your life down there? I don't I don't have Netflix. <laughs> it's not on Netflix. It is Any, on Netflix. No, it's, it's, it's not, trust me. It's, it's on, on HBO. Yeah, I, it's Hulu through HBO. I activated a free trial, binged oh. the episodes, and then canceled my free trial. Nice. I'll, anyway, hey, there's I'll a great that. scene involving miners going on strike. Okay. Does it end well? Yes, it does. Okay, good. I'll have to look forward to that. So he compromises with the leaders of the miners. Uh, but of course, after this, he rounded up all the leaders of the revolt, strapped them naked to tables, and blasted an x-ray machine for five minutes at their chests, ensuring their painful deaths by cancer within a few years. That really went zero to a hundred. Yeah, because Ceausescu... fast. Mm -hmm. Like, I... I'm not gonna lie, man. I'm getting a little bit of a bad vibe from this Kukaescu dude. So far, I kind of don't like him a little bit. I think he's got some great ideas, but, you know... I, I don't know if I'm... I don't know if I'm for... Or against blasting your own people with x-rays so they die of cancer. I can't really make a determination on the morality of that, you know? It's kind of all relative. I mean, I'm just gonna take a page out of our own playbook of corporate uh, capitalist oligarchic America and just say, it's all about finding that balance. <laughs> that balance between good and evil. Where you just do a couple of murders, but you don't murder all of them. You know, he could have strapped 30,000 to the table and had them vaporized with x-ray waves. But he uh, he didn't. He only went after most of them. <laughs> I have been getting Jesus. through academic department meetings for literal years without actually saying anything substantive by just nodding and saying, it's about finding that balance when someone looks at me. Well, it's, it's looking at a piece of modern art and saying it's about the duality of man. <laughs> Um, it's, it's just, uh, weasel words, man. Ugh, ugh, no. This is bad. I was t completely disgusted reading this, and I was like, this can't stand. Because, of course, this is just intolerable. That's why in 1978, Ion, uh, Ion Mihai 
Pachepa, I think it's Pachepa, um, a top-level leader of the secret police in Russia, defected to the United States, where he would write a book about what it was like to be a spy in a communist country, detailing the corruption and atrocities committed under this man. Wait, so he's obviously Romanian. Yeah. Wait, does he work for the Romanian government or the Russian government or both? Oh, or? oh, I'm sorry. I meant Romania. I wrote Russia. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was just. Um, thank you for catching that. You're throwing some mixed signals at me, bro. <laughs> Romania, Russian. What's the difference? Oh, hey. Remember how Romania is in massive debt because Nikolai wanted all the oil money and he made some, took some bad loans. Well, his financial history is just uh, just a long line of that again and again and again. Deals are failing, um, just falling through all over the place. Romania is just plummeting. They're not worth anything. So Ceausescu's like, I gotta fix this fucking problem. So he decides and uh, declares that he's going to pay back all of these national debts no matter the cost. So in the 1980s, Ceausescu ordered the agricultural arm and the industrial arm of Romania to go into full swing and he starts exporting produce and products in attempt to pay for these massive bills. The result was that the majority of the food produced did not work to sustain the people of Romania, but was instead seized and sold to other countries by the state power. And in the 1980s, when Marty McFly was climbing into a time machine and us normies in America were watching The Empire Strikes Back, Romania was literally living paycheck to paycheck. The typical Romanian was fighting for his life to find enough food to feed his family that day. Uh, energy blackouts were a daily occurrence. They would just turn everything off to save energy, to save money. Uh, and television was limited to one channel, and it was only on for two hours a day because they literally couldn't afford the propaganda that they were f so freaking focused on. Two hours a day, this television channel's on, and it's it just looks like garbage. <laughs> but it was all worth it because Ceausescu did indeed pay back the national debt. He actually did it. So finally, Romania is going to be on the up and up, right? Right? Because once the debt is finally paid off and we're in the green, we can focus on rebuilding and producing new infrastructure, feeding the people, improving the country. All that extra money can just go to the people, right? Right? I'm, I'm getting a feeling uh, that it was not right. No, of course it's not right. <laughs> of course not, you know, because Ceausescu wants it all for himself because he's a selfish little fucker. After the debt was finally paid off in 1989, uh, Ceausescu kept everything the same as always. Rations, power outages, no money to infrastructure, nothing. But we're not there yet. The bill is coming, but we're not there yet. Um, Ceausescu likes to spend all his people's money on bullshit like his personal palace, which is just a massive series of boxes stacked on, stacked on top of each other containing more than a thousand individual rooms. And to build this thing, he evicted all the people living on the plot of land and destroyed their homes before construction, so there's that. It's literally the largest palace in the world. Uh, it's got massive ballrooms. Currently in Romania, it's not being used for anything. It's just being used as like a monument to excess. There's nothing in the building. It's just bare walls, um, some fancy chandeliers. It's I'm pretty sure there's nothing in the building, at least the pictures I saw of it. But I do, I do know for sure that there's a, a section in it dedicated to history. Thank Jesus. Um, so yeah, like I said, it was literally the largest palace in the world. It's it's insanely big. And lucky for us, this was specifically marked on Ceausescu's bill. It would be the project that wouldn't be finished until after he was dead. So he never got to live in it. I mean, maybe he lived in a part of it, but it was never finished. 
So while Ceausescu was building his palace, his people were literally starving to death in the streets just outside, like just falling over and starving. Um, and Romania. Okay, uh, okay, that just gave me some like Disney movie vibes. Oh God, what? <laughs> no, just like some evil potentate building a palace while people are like singing and dancing while starving in the street. Yep, I can see I it. I kept getting I kept getting movie vibes with this one, which is why I'm so excited to get to the uh, to the other half of this story. So as people are literally starving to death, um, Romania at the time had the highest infant mortality rate in Europe by far. The Securitate, uh, I'm just going to call it that, the secret police uh, were virtually everywhere. Free speech was restricted by laws that basically outlined quite literally the things you were not allowed to think about. Um, protests were essentially impossible because the police were everywhere. And Ceausescu started naming cities and streets and all the things he liked after himself. He's just a huge megalomaniac from a Disney movie. Um, but I think, honestly, it's... Uh, well, let me just wrap this up real quick, and then we'll go into our, uh, our honorable mentions. So, we've got Romania. It's debt-free, but Ceausescu is spending all his people's profits on bullshit. Like, they're profiting off of their, their industry and agriculture, but none of it's going back to the infrastructure. <laughs> So weak people start to starve, which makes strong people mad, which is a beautiful setup for the beginning of the Romanian Revolution in 1989. And I think that's a great place to break for our honorable mention. If you're ready. Yeah, I'm going to get a drink of water so you can just mark it. Let's talk about honorable mentions. Honorable mentions is the part of the show where the person who's not hosting that week brings in a story from history that is super fun and also super small. And with that, I'd like to turn it over to George to give us the rundown on this week's honorable mention. I, th I probably should have stopped you at super fun. This isn't oh, exactly no. super fun. This okay. is inspiring. Oh, good. Inspiring. Get ready to be inspired. So I'm ready. The year is AD 65, um, and a bunch of people in Rome, um, senators, politicians, important people over society, are getting really tired of a dude named Nero. You've probably heard of him. He was the emperor, and he was basically a psychotic <laughs> with the personality of a narcissistic and yet nerdy theater kid. Okay, well, come out swinging. <laughs> and so there's a group of people who decide... Um, maybe we shouldn't have this literal psychopath in charge anymore. And they start making plans to do something about that. Yeah. Unfortunately, as so often happens, loose lips sink ships. It all gets found out. <clears throat> Tons of people are implicated. Um, ends up being like 40-something people who are allegedly involved. Some of them probably actually weren't involved at all. But there's some big people killed in this. The philosopher Seneca, the oh. poet Lucan, um, the satirical novelist Petronius. If you've ever had to take like a Western literature course, you've probably heard of at least some of those people. As well as Piso, the leader of the conspiracy, hence why it's known as the Pisonian conspiracy. But fortunately, we have accounts of the deaths of various people who were involved here. And I've got to say, some of them are really, really baller. So I just wanted to go through some of the highlights of these absolute legends who risked and eventually gave their own lives to try to save Rome from an absolutely psychopathic theater kid. <laughs> okay, this is going to be good. <sighs> so first up is Sulpicius Osper, who, when he's being tortured and Nero's there like, you know, rubbing his hands together and stroking his neck beard and observing the torture, he asks Sulpicius why 
he had, um, you know, gotten involved in this conspiracy and wanted to kill him. And Sulpicius responded that such was the only service that was due to his infamies. Whoa. And then Damn. they killed him. Damn it. So yeah, no, these these were these these guys went hard. Mm. These guys went hard. This one is amazing in a different way. This is actually the console. So allegedly one of the one of the most powerful, well, allegedly the highest elected office in the, you know, Roman Republic, but mm. the Republic doesn't really exist anymore. So you're just basically it's a cool title. Right. Um he's at dinner. He's got a bunch of people over. He's actually not involved at all, but he's friends with some of the people who are. And he has a uh, a guy runs in and says that uh, yep, the emperor has uh, has sent soldiers. They're, they're on their way up here now. And so he's literally in the middle of a dinner party. And I'm just going to read you directly what, uh, what Tacitus, the historian, um, wrote about this. Let's see. He rose without delay... And this is as the soldiers are coming into the dining room and he's in the dining room. He rose without delay and all was hurried through in a moment. He shut himself in his bedroom. The doctor was already at hand. His arteries were cut. He was carried into the bath and plunged into hot water without letting fall a single word of self-pity. So he literally had like a whole plan already. Like if he gives the signal, uh, you know, the doctor comes and immediately helps him kill himself. Holy shit. He, so he did, never said a single word. He just saw up oh, they're coming to take me in. He literally just gets up, goes over to the bathroom. He has a doctor waiting there, and he, he kills himself. Wow, that's pretty hardcore. Yep. And then um, other people killed. As I said, the philosopher Seneca, who, as you can imagine, kind of waxes pretty, uh, pretty philosophical, <laughs> and has a, you know some long speeches uh, before finally. Uh, taking a really long time to die, actually. Oh, and then Lucan, the poet, who, and this is classic poet, when his blood was flowing and he felt his hands and feet chilling and the life receding little by little from his extremities, though his heart retained warmth and sentience, Lucan recalled a passage of his own poem where he had described a wounded soldier dying a similar form of death, and he recited those very verses, and they were his last words. What were the verses? We don't know. Oh, it's, it. It, it's not believed that this poem is extant, because we do have a lot of Lucan's poetry. Nothing quite matches up to that. Mm. But it just that's just amazing. Like, I don't want to call it badass, because it's kind of ridiculous, but mm. it's like... Little guys, literally, I'm going to recite my own poetry as I die, because fuck you, Nero. <laughs> That's like me dying and going, and I think we're going to close out the show and let the sound of the Roman Empire play you out. <laughs> <laughs> and then, lastly, and this is my personal favorite, this is the one that actually gave me the idea to talk about these dudes, is a tribune that is a, a lower military officer named Subrius Flavus. And... I'm going to once again read Tacitus's description. Before long, the evidence of the same group, that is the people who informed on them, the Narcs, destroyed the tribune, Subrius Flavus. At first, he sought to, to make a defense on the grounds of unlikeness of character. That is, he wouldn't associate with the type of people who were involved in this thing because he's a man of honor and, you know, they're weirdos. 
Um, since they're mostly rich senators, and this is a working man, a military right. officer. Right. A man of the sword, like himself, would never have shared so desperate an enterprise with such weak effeminates. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, so you can, you can tell this is going to be good. Yep. <laughs> then, as he was pressed more closely, which is probably euphemistic for torture, quote, he embraced the full glory of confession. Questioned by Nero as to what the motives which had led him so far as to forget his military oath were, he responded, I hate you. Oh! There was not a man in the army truer to you as long as you deserved to be loved, but when you became a murderer of your mother and of your wife, I began to hate you. Whoa. Oh, and shit. <laughs> Tacitus interjects here, I have reported his exact words, for, unlike those of Seneca, they were given no publicity, and the plain, strong sentiments of the soldier were not less worth knowing than those of the philosopher. Wow. It was notorious that nothing in this conspiracy fell more harshly on the ears of Nero, who was equally ready to commit crimes as he was unaccustomed to be uh, held accountable for them. So, like, Nero was like, ooh. He's just like, this guy is literally about to kill. But, and here's, this is this is the final line. This is one of the just best lines ever. So they've been torturing him. They like take him out into the woods. They dig a little shallow grave in the woods to kill him in. And he's standing next to them. And so keep in mind, these are soldiers doing it. So these are probably men that he either served with or were under his command. And when he looks at the grave they've dug, he says, he turns to the guy, the guy who's, uh, in charge of the little, you know, military detachment that's doing all these executions and says, Ne hoc quidam ex disciplina, which means not even this is done properly. Wow. <laughs> and then that's they kill amazing. him and put him in the grave that was not not dug the right way. And that is how Subrius Flawas, absolute baller, wow. met his end for wanting to kill one of the most psychopathic narcissistic asshats ever to be in a position of authority. You know, he had another name. Chadus. <laughs> oh! Ah, yes. Subrius Flavus Badassidus Chadus. Nice. <laughs> Alright, well, thanks for that, George. Uh, that concludes our honorable mentions segment, and we're gonna get back into Ceausescu. Alright, so... When we left off, Romania was debt-free, blah, 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 blah. He's not spending the money on people, blah, 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 blah. So we're coming up to the Romanian Revolution of 1989. And I just want you to realize how recent that is. Uh, to the listener, mostly, George, you can fuck off. But for the listener, <laughs> I want you to remember, just think about how recent that, that is. That was five years before the year I was born. Uh, and this is all going down. And if you go and watch the videotapes of this, which I was doing earlier today, um, it look, I mean, they look like they're armed with, like, 1940 they are armed with 1940s soviet era weapons technology also with like expensive modernized helicopters and all the latest tech near the top um but the foot soldiers the grunts are they just look like soldiers from 1940 um so anyway it all began on the 16th of december of eight, 1989 i i said 1880 why did i okay i just want you to pay attention to how quickly this all goes down too and it all begins with one little pastor who didn't like the government. <laughs> I like where this is going. Yeah, so his name is Laszlo Tokus, 
And uh, I think that's how you pronounce it. I really don't know, but I was well. It's a it. Hungarian. It's a Hungarian name, so I don't know either. Right. It doesn't matter. So. He was not exactly a fan of Ceausescu, and frequently gave sermons criticizing the government. And it was like on a small scale. He had like this tiny little congregation in a dinky little town, and um, he he's just working. Like he would give sermons and be like, "And Ceausescu is going to feel the wrath of the Lord someday, guys." Um, but let's not talk about that. Let's talk about Jesus. It wasn't even like he was going out of his way. He was just being like, Ceausescu's kind of a bastard, but, you know, for all have sinned and fall short, you know, whatever. But he was the one thing that he was directly engaged with was an underground anti-communist publication. And in it, he wrote an article about the human rights abuses uh, occurring in Romania at the time, and he was like, this ain't okay. And of course, he couldn't really get away with this for too long. The security uh, essentially showed up at his door and said he had to move away from uh, his... Well, move away from his current town to San Petru de Campie or die. Well, he just says fuck that and moves moves to Cludge instead. I know it's probably not pronounced Cludge, but I don't care. Are you making more coffee? <laughs> no, that's the automatic uh, shutdown. Ah, beautiful. <laughs> so Ceausescu at this time was building his massive palace, and he came up with this stunning philosophical idea. That bigger was always better than small. In fact, bigger was so much better than small that all small things had to die. Small businesses, small government, small towns, small people, small churches and buildings. All that is small must fall. That was his new policy. <laughs> Which I know is so stupid, but here we are. So he starts implementing what's known as a systematization. Which basically is this move where he tries to incorporate everything, everything, into one massive sort of mothership unit. Well, guess what one dissident pastor did about this? He dissented. He gave an interview uh, with two Canadians who smuggled themselves into the country um, regarding the view, his views of the government. Uh, and it was filmed in with smuggled video cameras as well and smuggled videotapes. And nothing was allowed. Yeah, never mind. You weren't allowed to make your own media. That's pretty obvious. So this tape, uh, this interview was dispersed among cities just outside the borders of Romania. And it was an instant classic, so Disney bought the rights and made ten movies about it. Of course, I'm just kidding. But this was a viral video that actually sparked the downfall of the Romanian government. And you watch it, he's just like, yeah, they're just like killing people and that's not really okay. And if only Ceausescu would give his life to the Lord, the country would be saved. <laughs> and this was considered uh, very, very not okay in uh, Ceausescu's regime. And where today we make videos viral by sending links through the internet, then videos were made viral by people, with video duplication devices who made physical tapes and hand-delivered them from home to home. And eventually, this interview was actually smuggled back into Romania, and was spread far and wide to Romanians desperate for the air of truth. This was the red pill Romania had been waiting for. But of course, because it was a police state, the secret police found out about this video pretty quickly. And they dealt with this, this uh, scrappy little pastor before, and they knew where he lived and he worked. So they went in and forced his church to fire him. Well, not really forced. They asked the bishop, who was a commie, we need you to get, fire this guy. He's against the state. And he was like, oh, okay, I'll fire him. Uh, but he stayed. And so did his congregation. They absolutely loved this guy. And they were like, we're not going anywhere. We're just going to keep listening to his sermons. So the evil, no good, very bad securitate uh, ordered him to leave again until he refused. Um, uh, and actually, they informed, they were like, we're going to come get you. We're going to come get you over and over and over again. And they have threats and everything. And he's like, I'm not going anywhere. This is my home. And these are my people. So I'm staying. 
So eventually they mobilized alongside uh, the, the Securitate, uh, mobilized alongside the fucking military to get this one man who stood up and said, No. One man. One pastor. Absolute Chad Gamer. <laughs> and the uh, immense fear felt by governments mm-hmm. when they realized the people are starting to wake up. Mm-hmm. So Tokus tells his congregation that the government is coming for him that coming Friday. And that they should all come out and watch what happens. So they do. And his whole congregation goes to church that Friday just to listen to his words. But guess what? So do literally thousands of other people from all over Romania who saw the video. They come to this church to show their support. And these thousands of people provided food for Tokus because the government canceled his rations to starve him to death. They provided housing. Uh, the, the people provided housing for him because the bishop was trying to evict him from his apartment at the church, but he actually refused to move out. Uh, and this man preached the word of God, that Nikolai Ceausescu was not immune to criticism no matter how big his damn palace. So this pastor, one night, is just at home with some of his bros, watching VeggieTales and lifting, drinking white monsters and thinking about the Lord, when four strangers armed with knives break into the flat. Pastor Tokus and his friends proceed to fight these men off while the Securitate agents outside just kind of watch. Really shows what side they're on, slash who was actually doing the attack. Uh, Tokus and his boys eventually did rid themselves of these minor annoyances, um, these probably Securitate agents in disguise, and they go back to lifting. But of course, Ceausescu is seething at this point. He starts spreading propaganda, accuses, and he, one of the biggest ones is he accuses Tokus of being a racist, even though he was a minority and was most certainly not racist. But there was a big propaganda campaign against him. He's like, he's a racist who hates everybody, and nobody bought it because they'd been using that too much. Yeah, I mean, so, Hungarians can't be racist. Right. <laughs> So Tokus legally has, until that Friday, the 15th of December to move out. If he's not out, the Securitate will arrest him and probably kill him after torturing him or whatever. So the day arrives. Friday comes, and the uh, Securitate moves in, and guess what they're met with? They're met with a human chain around the church. Romanians who love their country locked arm in arm to protect this pastor from Ceausescu's men. And get this. They won. The Securitate couldn't get past them. And they weren't prepared to shoot down the uh they weren't prepared to shoot down the uh the, the civilians yet. So eventually the Urukai just kind of went away because they just didn't have the orders they needed. And Tokus calls these heroes together to deliver a short speech. And this is where I'm gonna cut in the fucking Peter Pan music. He calls everyone together to deliver a short speech, and he told everyone he was grateful to have such lads and lasses as these but he feared that they may die if they continued to protect him. So he told them all to go home. Was this the end? Would the revolution just stop? The people are silent. Some begin to turn away. And that's when a small, impoverished gypsy boy with one leg, eight fingers, and no head speaks up and says, <laughs> But the good guys always win, Pastor Tokus. Pastor Tokus kneels in front of this child and puts his hand on his shoulder and he says, I only wish that were true, son, but the bad guys are very powerful this time. The gypsy boy looked at Pastor Tokus and says, Power is nothing in the face of truth. You taught us that, Pastor Tokus. Wait a minute. <laughs> How does he look at him if he doesn't have a head? <laughs> this part's made up. But basically... <laughs> Trying to pull a fast one on me, Aaron. <laughs> 
So Pastor Tokus stands up. Indeed, power has nothing in the face of the truth. He remembers the lessons he taught so loyally, so regularly with his congregation's ears all turned and their attentions toward him. For truth is the most powerful force on the planet. Power obtained by lies and deception and subversion of what is good and right will never last. For as Pastor Tokus knew from the Holy Scriptures, a house that is built on sand will crumble with the storms. But a house built on the rock of truth stands forever. <laughs> Alright, so I exaggerated a little bit. Basically, the people wouldn't go home. They're like, we're standing with you, brother. You're not gonna go down like this. They'll have to kill all of us. Also, you're welcome. I, fix I fixed your not script. You had crows written instead of crowds. Oh my god, I wrote this drunk. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> it, it would be really funny to leave that in, though. It's like the crows were getting bigger! <laughs> <laughs> so several more times the government would threaten these people, but they always resistance, resisted, and peacefully at first. They just said, no, we're not going to let you hurt this man. Um, and Tolkis always told them to go home. He was like, guys, I appreciate it, but if I've got to be a martyr for, for you know, my, my beliefs or whatever, I've got to be a martyr for my beliefs. And they're like, not today you're not. Um, so instead of people going home, crowds actually got bigger. Um, and they were always like singing patriotic Romanian songs from before the communist takeover, songs that were illegal. And they were singing hymns from the church, hymns that were illegal. They were threatened with water cannons. They literally marched uh, from Tokus's house to the Communist Party headquarters and took the water cannons before they could be used. And over the next few days, or two days actually, the situation grew dire. The military opened, finally opened fire several times on the protesters, killing around 75 over the course of a few days. But nothing could stop them. They were raiding communist centers and throwing literature out the window to be burned. They cut the red star out of the center of the Romanian flag. Uh, it was like a little red star on top of a crest of some kind. Uh, they cut this star out, big circle, and returned to the colors of old Romania and rid themselves of this symbol of death. Um, and they carried these flags with large holes in the center. Um, and that's literally their flag, the flag on the, in the conflict, the belligerents. Uh, their flag is a Romanian flag with a hole in it. Guns appeared in their ranks, and the Securitate quickly began to lose control as the people fought back. The army took to the streets of Timisoara. I think it's Timisoara. Eventually, um, and this is unheard of, like this, has, this is a command to put the army in the street. This has to come from Ceausescu himself. Eventually, there is a brief peace while the, uh, where the protesters deliver their demands to the government. They want Ceausescu out, gone, and his wife. They, want, they just want him out. They don't want him dead. They're just like, get rid of him. Replace him with literally anybody else. The Securitate refuses to meet this demand. And on the 21st of December, Ceausescu delivered a speech where he condemned these malcontents and reactionaries marching in Timisoara. He gave this speech to a crowd of 100,000 workers in the city, um, uh of Bucharest, I believe, who were forced to be there under pain of death. And they were also forced to hold red banners and large portraits of himself and pretend like they agreed uh, with everything he was saying. His speech, uh, which would be his last, blamed fascist agitators for this uprising and basically recited, he went and recited a laundry list of things that the press said he'd done that were good, but he didn't actually do. And two minutes into the speech, the spell just starts breaking, and people start jeering at him. Then they begin to curse at him and screaming, and I'm going to put the sound of it over top of this because it's unbelievably, like, horrifying. And then they begin the chant, 
Temesora, Temesora. The crowd's just going wild, and you can hear it. And, and Ceausescu's up there, and he's like, "Oh fuck." I like and, to think that uh, this is about the point that he says, please clap. Yes, it's literally to that point. <laughs> he's, he's forcing them to clap at gunpoint. And they're even breaking that spell. And the, in the video, you can watch it. It was cut off from live TV because the, the government realized that this is bad. We can't allow people to see this, this uprising, this rejection of the spell. And so they cut the live feed, but there were still cameras rolling. So it's really not a great angle, but you can still hear it happening. And there's this there's part where Ceausescu raises his hand to quiet the crowd. You know that like little motion, and he does it, and they don't listen. And he like lowers his hand, and, and then he tries it again, and then they don't listen. And then he tries it one last time, and they're still not listening. And you can see the shock on his face when he realizes it's not working. It's all over. Uh, you should go watch the video because uh, if you look at it closely, you can actually see the exact moment when he realizes his bill has arrived. <laughs> And he starts yelling into the mic, offering to raise the workers' salaries by what amounts to nine American dollars a month. And it's obviously not working. And you can hear his wife in the background yelling for the crowd to shut up. And suddenly gunfire breaks out, and it's the Securitate firing on the crowd. Panic ensues, and now you have 100,000 freaked out Romanians flipping the fuck out. And Ceausescu, in the meantime, flees into his building with his wife and a cabal of lunatic followers. It's really happening, <laughs> you know? Um, so that night, the security would eventually uh, clear the streets, but the revolution was already beginning in cities all over Romania. They literally could not stop all of them. This is Area 51, but not a LARP. It's the real deal. And this is the part where the people in, uh, in the upper... Uh, but not top levels of power, go for their pistols and start shooting themselves. <laughs> Classic shit. Did you want to say yeah, something? The, I was just going to say, yeah, this one wasn't a, uh, you know, false flag created by the government to distract easily influenced millennials from the fact that we're ruled by a billionaire pedophilic elite. <laughs> God. I mean, but you're right, though, and that's what makes this movement so pure. It's entirely about the people. They're, they've been had, and they're done with it. Um, and they're not, even, they're not even out to kill you yet, but you keep fucking with them and lying to them and forcing them to, to listen to your stupid speeches and you've got your secret police army firing on the populace. Like, they're coming to kill you because that's the only solution at this point. So like I said, uh, Ceausescu's people were just starting to shoot themselves, just fucking committing suicide because this is how it always ends. And Ceausescu's defense minister uh, allegedly shoots himself as well. Um, so Ceausescu takes control of the army. Uh, the problem is that the soldiers in the Romanian army, the grunts, really like that old commander, and they really aren't fans of Ceausescu. And it's also highly possible that this old military guy was suicided, which is to say that the regime had him killed and tried to make it look like a suicide so that Ceausescu could take full control of the army. Because it's at this point, Ceausescu, like, Everybody knows that the deception levels are indeed Epstein suicide high. And the regular-ass soldiers immediately joined the revolutionaries, almost all of them. And the commanders saw that they couldn't control their men, so they just kind of let them go. They were like, I can't control thousands of soldiers and tell them, because they'll just kill me. But of course, the commanders didn't really like Ceausescu much either, and they were starting to see it even more now that the, uh, now that the, uh, the fakeness of this whole thing was, was just being revealed. 
And the same morning, the 22nd, Ceausescu actually tried to give another speech, but he was literally stoned off his balcony and had to retreat into his stupid building again. And I want to make it clear. He wasn't stoned on weed. They threw rocks at this bastard. <laughs> um, couldn't even get a word out. That's why his last speech was, uh, was, was, the, was the previous one to this one, because he never got a word out. And that's when revolutionaries started storming the building. They overwhelmed his security and were eventually standing in the very real offices of the Romanian dictator himself. Can you imagine how much of a fucking trip that would be? That's like if you and I stormed the White House and got all the way to the Oval Office. And meanwhile, the president is boarding a secret elevator, which actually gets stuck, and we're just hunting him down in Minecraft. Um, well, here's that's actually what happened. Uh, Mr. I have the big pal biggest palace in the world, therefore I have the biggest dick, is actually stuck in a secret elevator trying to reach the roof. And he just hears the enraged and scorned people he used to rule yelling his name just outside. Nikolai! Nikolai! Just like you're trapped in a box trying to get to a roof so you can make a last ditch attempt while your countrymen who you have betrayed again and again just storm your goddamn like forsaken palace bullshit machine. Oh God. Can you imagine? Like, I, I don't even think he would break the delusion. I think that's how far he was along. Or he, he still thought he was right because he was such a massive fucking narcissist. His wife, no doubt. Um, and we'll we'll get to her in just a second. But this is real. This went from an abstract concept like we could take this over, we could put a stop to this, to concrete human force real fast. Let me take now a breath. This, yeah, this. He's a, you know he's literally out of his mind at this point. If he thinks there's there's a way he gets out of this, like yeah. the fact that he still thinks that he has some semblance of control. Like, I mean, hell, go a couple countries over to Albania. Their government collapsed in 1997, and, like, one day into the collapse, the government literally just said, fuck it, we're not the government anymore, and opened all their military bases. It was like, just help yourselves, guys. We're, <laughs> we're out. And literally the government just left, and you ended up with about a six-month period of absolute anarchy, because after one day of them realizing they didn't have control of the country, they were just like, well... Why pretend? But Ceausescu's, you know, we're, he still thinks he's in charge. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> tell, tell me, Nikolai, do you feel in charge? Exactly. <laughs> this is Bane coming for, for revenge on Wall Street, basically. Um, and it feels so good because, you know, we've been building to this, this moment where finally the people realize their power and they rise up and they, they take out this tyrant who is literally starving them to death uh, because they trusted him. And they trusted Marxist doctrine to lead them into the utopia. Um, but here we are, revolution again. And what's funny about Ceausescu is that he was like virtue signaling to them. He was out on the on his in his final speech. He's like, I really respect you guys for revolting. Like I remember the days of revolution when I was a when I was a mere uh, proletariat trying to fight against the ruling class. Well, you become the villain, Mr. Ceausescu. You became the villain. <laughs> you literally were murdering people with radiation. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, don't forget that. Don't forget murdering your own workers with radiation because they couldn't make ends meet in your goddamn regime. Okay, so... Whew, all right. So Ceausescu and his wife, uh, Elena, make it to the roof and board a helicopter, taking off just as the revolutionaries make it up there. And they watch him buzz away in his little helicopter as the fight rages on in the streets below. And... He knows he's lost, or he doesn't know he's lost. I think he still thinks he has some semblance of control. But Ch Ceausescu uh, literally has the helicopter pilot at gunpoint, 
because at this point he knows he can't trust the military anymore. Um, and like I said, the problem is he's realizing he can't trust anyone in the military. So the radio chirps up, commanding the helicopter pilot to land because the entire country was now an official no-fly zone for Ceausescu. And if he didn't land, they were going to blow him out of the sky. So they land, uh, and they stop a car that's being uh, driven by some doctor and demand that he drive them to Vacaresti. Um, and from there, uh, they took another car to Targo Vista, the whole time listening to the radio tell of the fall of their empire, now from a ground level. None know if this allowed them to see what it was like standing at the ground level with normies, but we can really only hope that at least they felt a taste of fear that their people had felt in the regime for decades. God dang, Aaron, it's 1030. You're really trying to get me worked up tonight. Oh, God, sorry. In two hours, you'll be peacefully asleep in bed, and I'll be wandering through the streets yelling about the government's lies. (laughs) That's the thing, I know you will. (laughs) But I'd be doing that anyway. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, they arrive at an agricultural center, and they meet the police there, and they're instantly arrested. And the new authorities in the military quickly decided that this couple had to go. They, They had some debates a little while about, like, should we kill them? Should we let them go on? And no, they they realized that they had to execute the Mad King uh, and the Mad Queen because this was a new day and they weren't going to hold on to any relics of the past. They weren't weren't worried about him taking power again, but they also knew that they had to make an example of him. Um, So on the evening of December 24th, uh, Christmas Eve actually, 1989, a secret code was sent uh, to the new leadership and it was just recourse to the method. (laughs) which we all know what the method is. Uh, A small trial was organized on Christmas Day, and the Ceausescus were supplied with a lawyer who was literally torn away from Christmas breakfast with his family to represent them. And they only gave him 10 minutes to prepare because they knew this had to happen quickly while they still had momentum. And so he was like, okay, guys, okay, Mr. Ceausescu, just hear me out. Just say you were insane. It's the only way you'll save your necks. Elena is insulted uh, by this. She's like, (coughs) wow, she sneezes. And then she says, this is insulting. I will not say that I'm insane because I'm perfectly sane. And then she demands that this man not be allowed to represent them. So they go to trial. It lasts an hour and Ceausescu defends himself. His defense was that he, uh, this was an illegal coup organized by the Soviets. It didn't work. There was no Christmas miracle for mm. Ceausescu. Well, no, because he doesn't believe in Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking commie bastard. So, <laughs> can you believe? Can you be more evil than the type of person who hates Christmas? <laughs> oh, it's like it's like supervillain level stupid. Okay, so they were both convicted of genocide with over sixty thousand victims, subversion of state power by organizing armed actions against the people and state power. Uh, offense or of destruction of public property by uh, destroying and damaging buildings, explosions in, city, in cities, etc. They were convicted of undermining the national economy, which that's, that's correct. They were convicted of trying to flee the country using funds of over $1 billion deposited in foreign banks. Sounds like were... it wasn't real communism to me, Aaron. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey! <laughs> so they were condemned, obviously, and sentenced to death. Uh, and the two were immediately bound with rope, but this wasn't exactly easy because both resisted, screaming orders at the soldiers to stop, Elena being the most obnoxious about this. Um, she was just calling them sons of bitches and bastards, and 
you know, why aren't you thanking us for what we did for your stupid country? And eventually they just get to name-calling, um, but they're old, so they can't muster their way out of the grip of the four soldiers. And so these soldiers lined them up against the wall and shot them 120 times. That will do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, that, like, Mr. Ceausescu literally looks like a character in, in oblivion. He's, like, completely folded over on himself. Of course, they taped it, um, or at least they taped the, uh, them shooting the corpses. Uh, they did a very, a very thorough, like, documenting process where they were like, yes, we want people to know that Ceausescu is definitely dead. They get, like, close-ups of their faces. They show their IDs, all that shit, and they document it. They have a doctor present um, to confirm the death. So these guys go down on Christmas, no less. It's a Christmas miracle. So the governmental control uh, went from the national, or uh, went from the communist uh, communist control to the National Salvation Front for a few weeks, which is the most badass name I can think of. The National Salvation uh, Front enjoyed worldwide support on a national level for taking their future into their own hands. Aid was shipped in, equipment, medicine, you name it. Everything was coming in from other countries. They were like, "Thank God you guys got out, and good for you for doing it right." By the 27th of December, it was all over. And that's the end of this story. Um, that's the end of, that's the, end of the uh, communist rule in uh, Romania. And I just want to remind everyone that the entire country of Romania, after nearly 50 years of communist rule, 50 years with the entire power of the secret police, the military, and the economy, um, 50 years of all of that was saved from a ludicrous was saved from a ludicrous wingnut who starved thousands of his own people to death in order to build build a big palace it was all saved by a pastor who wouldn't give up his flat it took one ounce of truth spoken by one man to cause the dawn of the revolution and speaking of i just also want to remind everyone that that all began on like the 8th of december and ended on the 27th it was less than a month that the entire regime fell and that is amazing. So let's talk about the uh, the one man who really sparked it off. What became of Laszlo uh, Tokes? Well, he's actually still alive today. He is a bishop of the Reformed Church in Romania and a member of the European Parliament, where he co-sponsored the European Parliament resolution of the 2nd of April 2009 on European conscience and totalitarianism. This resolution expressed condemnation towards uh, the totalitarian regimes of the 20th century and calls, called for measures to increase public awareness of the dangers of totalitarianism, which is a thing you would support if you had lived under a moron like Nikolai Ceausescu. And that's all I have. Wow, you're right. That really did speed up. Like, yeah. that... Wow. It gave yeah, me, that was just that was nonstop, man. Yeah, it gave me a lot of inspiration. I was like, "Wow!" So maybe the only thing you have to do is just say no, you know. And you know, this this extremely powerful regime was just on its way out the door, just like that. You know, you know, uh, fifty years of death, murder, starvation, uh, secret police, spying, lies, deception at the greatest level. The construction of idiotic megalomaniac, megalomaniacal products such as the giant biggest palace in the world, which would never be used. Just it all came down. In you know, I didn't even I didn't even think about it, but that's pretty much Nero as well. Mm. He he if actually there are a lot of similarities. Like he was also building a massive palace, um, and you know forcing people off their homes and whatnot and yeah there's there's actually some similarities there that i didn't even think about i just got to that that line uh, 
not even this was done properly while I was doing my spiritual reading in Tacitus mm-hmm. and was like, oh, I just want to talk about this because this shit's cool. But it actually fits pretty well. Mm. Kind of shows two different sides of heroism because, you know, sometimes heroes live and sometimes they die. Um, and sometimes the greatest heroism is shown in surviving and sometimes the greatest heroism is in just standing up and being like, you can kill me, but I'm not going to fucking bow to you. Yeah. It's uh, it's really inspiring. I mean, I'm really, really glad Tulkus survived. Um, like, because it, it it's an, it's a it's a message of hope. Like, the only thing you have to do is be willing to die. You don't have to die, but you have to be willing to die. And that's what he was. And his one interview with two Canadians literally saved Romania. Um, and you can go watch videos of Romania today. It's like it's doing okay. You know, people are getting along. I mean, I was watching a video earlier about. Um, the traditional culture in Romania, like there are people there who just won't modernize. They're just like, fuck it. I have a good life working the traditions of my ancestors. And there's like, so they got the gypsies who are into metalworking and shit. And they've got these massive like mills and, you know, there's, there's families out there who like, they live in their own villages and they make their own food. And it's, you know, they didn't participate in that, in that system. They just kept along and just stuck with what they knew it was right. And they never had to deal with the bullshit. It's just when you go to it and you're like, this is the new utopia, these people are gonna save us. You're really setting yourself up for a really big disappointment. Um, which is why I, I really can't stand a lot of revolutionaries. It's because they, they think that they have their ideology han- hammered out. Uh, and then they go and they march in the streets and they break windows and bullshit like that. Um, but they don't know what they're gonna replace it with. They just hate being alive and they hate living in this country and all they operate on is hate which is, you know, and resentment, which is a really weak place to be. I mean, a person like Tokus, in my humble opinion, the reason he could he could stand up was because he loved his people more than he hated the government. Like, he didn't like the government, but he cared about his people, and he, would, he was willing to die for them, and they, in turn, were willing to die for him. And it's just this beautiful, like, a literal human ring around his church to protect him from Ceausescu's goons. It's unbelievable and it's wonderful and it makes me so freaking happy that's why i'm gonna sleep great (laughs) hell yeah brother and rant i don't know if you wanted to go on a rant but i think that was i i can't i can't cover any more communists (laughs) i can't do it i get too passionate well shall we i think it's time to head to the service then i think it is sweet let's go George, what are you going to do for the rest of the day? Well, it is 11 o'clock at night, so there is no rest to the day. There is also no rest for me because I don't sleep. So I'm probably going to get ready for um, my teaching evaluation to happen tomorrow morning. Well, good luck with that. I'm just going to spend the rest of my evening building an altar to Laszlo Tokus because he's awesome. Well, I think it's time to bring an end to the show, the show to an end for today. If you hate us, you're probably a communist. So consider funding the show by becoming a patron on patreon.com. Or if Patreon is not your thing, drop us a little tip in Venmo. That's at WTADP. Our cover art was created by Ian Patterson of Ian Patterson Illustration. You can view more of his wonderfully whimsical work at www.ipattersonillustration.com. With all that being said, we'll close out and let the sounds of victory in Jesus play you out. Ticesco and his wife escaped by helicopter. 
an aide held a gun to the pilot's head. It was important to call on the whole population of Romania to get out on the streets so that they could paralyze the country. And that was what happened. It was important to say that Ceausescu had fled in his helicopter because people couldn't believe what was happening. That same day, Ceausescu was captured. He and his wife had got just 45 miles from Bucharest. In the muddle and confusion that followed, different factions fought it out in the streets. Nearly a thousand were killed. My head's been wet with the midnight dew. I've been down on bended knees. The Ceausescu's were tried by court-martial. Sentence was carried out. Television faked the actual execution, but the corpses were real enough. You can run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. It reassured me to know Ceausescu was dead, even though we're humanists and I'm a poet. If he hadn't died, then we would have died. And that's the truth. The executioners took care their victim could be recognized. God's gonna cut you down. Tell them that God's gonna cut you down.